following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Good morning. For those of you that haven't met me, my name is Pastor John. We've been here about four months, and Christine and I would just like to thank you for the way that you have welcomed us with open arms. Uh, When you've been soaked and dunked, you know you are loved. (laughs) And so uh, it's been a real pleasure. If we haven't met you, we look forward to getting to know you a little bit more in uh, the weeks and the years that are ahead. So thank you for welcoming us. We have special guests here today from our former ministry, and I hope that you will give them a CGC welcome uh, for their time uh, here. And I I meant afterwards. (laughs) Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and if you want to put a marker in 1 Peter chapter 3 as well, we will refer to 1 Peter chapter 3 because that is a psalm that he refers to in his letter. Two weeks ago, Tiberius Ratza was here and he talked to us about uh, the Word of God, Psalm 119. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Last week, Newt Larson opened up the love of God for us from Psalm 36, and today I want to focus with us on the goodness of God from Psalm 34. So let's just read a few verses here, beginning at verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And here's how you do that. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the word, we are gathered as your people here, and we ask you to do that special ministry of teaching in our hearts, in our lives, in our midst. Help me as I speak. Help each one of us as we listen. And I pray that you would use this word, which is so full of your truth and power and wisdom to meet our needs and to direct our lives as only you can do. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I wanted to convince you that... um, that the technology is working, (laughs) if I wanted to convince you that this 
double chocolate fudge muffin was delicious. What would be the best way for that? Would I walk you through the recipe? Would I detail all the ingredients? Would I describe for you the scientific realities of the baking process and, and give you an analysis of that? What would be the best way? You know the answer. Just give me the muffin. And I will taste it for myself. Psalm 34 is a psalm of praise for David's deliverance from the Philistines that is recorded for us in 1 Samuel 21. In that deliverance, he realized that he was learning something about the goodness of God. And he invites his listeners and us today to taste and see the goodness of God for ourselves. Not simply to know something, not to analyze it, but to engage the goodness of God in the reality of life where we find ourselves. The challenges for us in this is because we know that so many things that we experience in life are not good. We know that as we look in our own hearts and listen to ourselves speak, and check the attitudes of our lives that there is so much that is not good. And as we see the not goodness of life, sometimes that, that can mask the goodness of God. It can create and sow um, doubts, questions in our lives and in our hearts. And so we come to the declaration that David makes to us. He said, I want you to know that God is good. And we might say, you know, David, in the good days, I know that's true. And he says, I want you to know that in the bad days, God is just as good as he is every other time. Now, this idea of, of goodness is a big word in the Bible. It covers a lot of different things, and it's applied to God. It's applied to uh, actions, applied to things. It's applied to, to humans. And so, uh, let's look at what it covers. It, it really it covers the things that are beneficial. It meets a need. It provides a benefit. And so, God's goodness includes His kindness his protection, his generosity, his meeting of needs, and in this case, David's deliverance. It is the goodness of God. Psalm 84, verse 11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It includes also what is pleasant or what is enjoyable. It's kind of the aesthetic side of things. Here we find the idea of God's goodness in the, in the areas of beauty or satisfaction, Something will look good, or something tastes good, and we all know what that means. It is pleasing, it brings joy to our life. That which is good brings joy and enjoyment to our lives. And then what is right? This is good versus evil. That which is morally excellent, and God's goodness, of course, 
is, is morally right in all that he does. Now, God is the ultimate of all these things. God is good. And anything that we know of good in our human experience, though we are not always conscious of it, though we are not aware of it, derives from the goodness of God himself. Psalm 16 and verse 2 says this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. J.I. Packer said about the goodness of God, the acknowledgement of God as good is the foundation of all biblical thinking about moral goodness. Man is good and things are good just so far as they conform to the will of God. So how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? And David wants us to enter into what he has experienced, and, and that is what he shares with us. In verse 8, in the latter part of that, we see that we trust God in the crisis of life. If we are going to experience the goodness of God in the moment in which we need him, we turn to him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, says verse 8. To take refuge means to, to run and to find a place of safety. So when we are threatened, when we are attacked, when we are fearful, when we are anxious, we look for that place to find protection. To experience the goodness of God means that we run to Him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Now, Samuel had anointed David to be the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Chapter 17, God gives him victory over Goliath. Things are going pretty well. But then Saul turned against David. He became jealous of him. And he attempted to take his life. And David was overcome with fear and anxiety. And he didn't know what to do. And so he devised a plan. And we find him in 1 Samuel 21 deciding that he will ask for political asylum with the Philistines. And he went to Gath. Now, if you've read those stories, you will remember that Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And he went, and the king seemed to be open to it. But the king's advisor said, do you know who this is? They called him the king of Israel. It was a long time before David was going to be king, but they had heard that he had been appointed, anointed as the next king of Israel. They said, wait a minute, isn't this one that took out Goliath? Isn't he the one of whom they sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? What do you think he's doing here? And they sowed seeds of doubt in the king's mind. And David heard that and he became overcome with fear again. And so he acted out. That's what we say today. And, and he acted like an insane person. And he, he, um, 
he uh, scratched on the door posts and he let drool run down over his beard. It's a, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? And we would say to David today, how's that working out for you? And it's at that point that he says, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. And he made a way for him to escape. He realized that that was not working. Psalm 118 verse 8 and 9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Verse 9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Human resources, political reality. What's our final hope going to be in? Psalm 52 verse 7 says, see the, Lord, uh, uh, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. No, we are encouraged to take refuge in God because Psalm 46 and verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. For us to experience the goodness of God in the needs, the realities, the tensions, the challenges of life, God needs to be our first response and not our last resort. For the believer who is growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ, the reality of walking with and in the presence of God should be an ever-present and always reality so that the moment that we face the difficulty, we turn to Him rather than to other things. In the second place, we experience the goodness of God according to these verses when we seek God for the needs of life. When we seek God for the needs of life. Uh, in these verses um, 9, 10, he talks about the fear of the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then he said, uh, those who seek the Lord, end of verse 10, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So here, seeking the Lord is very much similar to fearing the Lord. And what does it mean to fear God? We know it's the beginning of wisdom. It's a common expression that is used. And it means in our lives we hold God in reverence and awe, wonder and worship above everything else. So that in the home, in the community, on the job, in our church, our single purpose is to know and love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink, pretty mundane things in life. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. And so when we encounter the the desperate practical needs of life. 
David says to us, we experience the goodness of God. We taste that God is good when we seek Him in that need. Um, there are seasons and cycles in our material needs of life. Uh, we know times of plenty. We know times of really wondering how we're going to make ends meet. But God wants us to live with that confidence that he is committed to us and he will meet uh, not our, our greeds, but our needs in this life. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Shall not want. It's the same word here. The nothing here is the not want of Psalm 23. And David had to learn this the hard way. There was a moment in his life after the wonderful moment of being anointed the next king, of, of seeing God's victory over Goliath, there came that moment in which he feared Saul more than he feared the Lord. And then he made his plan and he went to the Philistines and and there he, he reached a time in which he feared the Philistines more than he feared the Lord. And to fear the Lord means to, to hold him in honor and to give him first place in our lives. And here's what David then learned. He said, those who seek the Lord will lack nothing. That's the assurance. That's the um, principle that, that we can rest on. But what does it mean for us to seek the Lord in the material things of life? That's the context that's here. He's talking about lions looking for food, and sometimes it doesn't go so well for them. Uh, but we can be assured that what we need, our good God will Provide. What does it mean for us to put God first, to fear God? And I want to give you just several principles drawn from other parts of Scripture that put in place a framework, if you will, not the details, but a framework of seeking God, fearing God, trusting God in this area of the material and the possessions of our lives so that when we encounter the big difficulties and uh, the challenges, we have in place already a pattern of responding and, and, and are evaluating these areas of life um, from which we can trust God and seek Him for that particular need. Uh, the first is that we give God ownership. We give God ownership. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything we have actually belongs to Him. It's given to us as a stewardship to be used for His purposes. Secondly, we give faithfully and generously. One of the changes that Jesus makes is to turn our hearts from being inward to outward. To see the needs of others, that's expressed in the generosity of our tithes and offerings, it's expressed in how we use our time and our talents and abilities that God gives to us. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Then there is earning our income with integrity. How we earn our income is just as important in God's eyes as what we earn as income. 
We are to be honest. We are to be responsible. We are to have excellence and integrity. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And he was speaking to, to believers who found themselves in economic situations where they had no choice in what they were doing. But they were doing it as to the Lord. Then we are to be content and live within our means. That is, again, uh, the opposite of pursuing wealth, making that the goal of our lives. We are to be content with God's provision and live within our means. Godliness with contentment is great gain, says 1 Timothy chapter 6. And then we are to look at that stewardship side of things and say, why has God given me what he has blessed me with, we are to spend money by God's priorities and purposes. That is the Matthew 6.33 principle. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. In the context, it's what shall we wear? What shall we eat? Um, and don't be anxious. Why? Because when you put God first, when you fear Him, when you honor Him in the way that you handle these things, He will meet your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then do all uh, with thanksgiving and for the glory of God. And so, how do we seek God? We taste and see His goodness in the material realm of life when we fear Him enough to live by His principles and not be overcome by the attractions of our world and the impulses of our own hearts that drive us to accumulate. You know it, but I'm going to say it. America is a prosperous nation. It is amazing how much we complain when we have so much. And the problem is for us that that prosperity can become an end in itself, a goal in itself, and we can begin to live for prosperity rather than receive it as a blessing of God to be used for His glory and His purposes. And Jesus said, you can't do it. You cannot serve God and money. Or for those of you that grew up with the King James, mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon, and that means money. So there you, there you have it. Now, when we talk about living the good life, or we use those kind of expressions, many of us get stuck right here with the material. While God does promise to meet our needs, the essence, the heart of what it means to live a good life is not in the material circumstances of our life. It is a quality of life that comes from the inside out. And so the third thing that David would teach us from his own experience is that we live a good life, we taste and see that God is good when we obey God in the relationships of life. Tim Keller put it this way, to enjoy a good life, you must live a good life. He's going to say, turn from evil and do good. 
as a pattern of life, as a way of life, as a part of, of following Christ and living out his character. I want to read just a few more thoughts from Tim Keller. He's got an excellent little devotional book on the Psalms called uh, The Songs of Jesus, I think is the, the title. And this comes out of that little, little devotional commentary on Psalm 34. To enjoy a good life, you must live a good life. This challenges the lie of the serpent in Eden that if we obey God fully, we will be miserable. Can you see where he's going with this? This is, this is convicting. This is convicting. This challenges the lie of the serpent in Eden that if we obey God fully, we will be miserable. That rich living, living lies outside God's will, not within it. This lie has passed deeply into every human heart. That we would be happier if we, rather than God, were free to choose how our lives should be lived. That's the struggle, isn't it? God's will, my will. The good life is is something I perceive it to be. And this reminds us that because God himself is good, the good life lies in obeying God in every relationship of life. And we find that in the, in, in the stress of life, in the, in the tense situations, is where we often end up making the bad choices in words and relationships. This is where Peter comes in. As Peter wrote to a church that was under persecution, and he's talking about relationships of believers within the church, he wrote to them to encourage them to make sure that they are helping one another, encouraging one another, and supporting one another in their time of need. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, He says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. And he said, where, where do you get that? Or where does that come from? And he reaches back and he quotes Psalm 34. Let him keep his tongue from evil. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so David identifies for us in this psalm. We're back in Psalm 34 in verses 12, 13, and 14. Those two key areas of what it means to live a good quality of life with moral excellence. First of all, we must be people that speak truth. We speak truth. Turn away from evil and do good. And that is paralyzed paralleled by um, making sure that we our lips um, that we keep our lips from speaking deceit. The gospel changes our speech. Jesus Christ takes the words of our mouths and changes them into what builds others up rather than what tears them down. 
A believer's interactions in words should be full of grace. They should be honest, but truth with love. It should not be the toxic way that that people speak to one another in our culture around us. That does not represent Jesus Christ. That does not show a transformed life and a transformed heart because Jesus spoke always with gentleness, with grace, for the benefit of those who listen. My favorite verse on this is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Speak the truth, not deceit. And in the second place, we are to be those who seek peace. Turn away from evil and do good. Romans 12, 21, we're familiar with. It says, overcome evil with good. And how do you do that in the relationships of life? You become a peacemaker rather than a troublemaker. The fact is, we're all born as troublemakers. And it's only in Christ is there a change of heart and a transformation of character that changes us into those that can bring peace, that can bring well-being. That's the idea of it. So that in that relationship, we are seeking the best for the other person. We are seeking to do what brings wholeness and harmony into that relationship. We are the ones if we fear God who actively seek peace in any situation. We are Christ in that moment. We are the ones who bring love and joy and peace and humility and forgiveness and grace to any tension or need. We are the ones who encourage people to listen and understand, to find practical solutions to identify needs. In other words, we become a part of God's solution rather than um, needing to find, being the one for whom we need to find a solution. And so we speak the truth and we seek peace in God's way and for His glory. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we choose to obey, God's goodness flows through us. And we become an instrument of His grace and His peace. So David invites us. He says, I want to tell you what I learned so you don't have to learn it the way I did. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust God in the crises of life. What is our first response? Where do we go? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Seek God for the needs of life. Are we honoring God with the material blessings that he gives us? And we obey God in the relationships of life. And so it's good for us just to take a step back for a moment and to say, are we living the good life? Are we living that quality of life 
that shows forth the goodness of God that we have received in his gift of life in the way that we interact with ourselves, the circumstances around us, and with other people. Because we can live on the goodness of God. September 17th, 2010, two Grace College students were walking along Winona Lake and uh, decide to sit down in a swing that was attached to a tree. Those ancient limbs gave way in that moment. And the girl was killed, and the young man was paralyzed from his neck down. His father began one of those Caring Bridge blogs over the next few months to update us and tell us what was going on. When it, came, when it came to Thanksgiving, he wrote these words. He said, as many of you know, that have been reading these updates since September, you've heard our family often say, God is good. This statement comes from an understanding that the Bible is the very word of God, and as such, the things contained within its pages Reveal to us the nature of God that we serve. Psalm 145, 9 tells us, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Malachi 3, 6 also tell us, tells us that God never changes. The truth is that God is good and cannot be anything but good. The difficulty in this claim is in rationalizing the bad things that happen to us while God remains an unchanging good. We are not so naive, I'm still quoting, we are not so naive as to say that this is a good situation. None of us would desire this to happen again or to anyone else. This accident, particularly the death of Mallory, is the very definition of a bad situation. With the Word of God being our source of authority and understanding about the world in which we live, we recognize that bad things happen and that often the measure of good that can come out of a bad situation depends on how we respond. So in light of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we thank God for what he has given us. Likewise, we remain determined, even in the face of a very bad situation, to thank our good and gracious God. Understanding that God's ways and plans are higher and better than our own, Isaiah 55. And though at times we fail to understand them, we recognize he is far better at planning than we are. And we submit to the good and the bad in our lives as an opportunity to glorify God. Wow. Oh. Would that we all had a grasp on the goodness of God in that way. But we can. David invites us and makes it available to us. And so as we move into our time of closing and reflection and response, I want to give you several affirmations that come out of this text. And maybe the Spirit of God would ask you to say, yeah, that's an affirmation that I need to make today. To taste and see the goodness of the God. And I want to know him, not theoretically, 
not just simply as an idea, but in the reality of my life and who I am, and in the reality of the circumstances of people that I interact with. I want them to see the goodness of God in my life. And so the first would be, I will make God my first response rather than my last resort. Two, I will seek God and be content with his provision. Thirdly, I will only speak what honors God and builds others up. Fourthly, I will seek the welfare or the peace of others. Fifthly, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my life. That's where David started. That was our, that was our, that was our call to worship today. And he says, boy, I learned it the hard way. And he invites us to learn it with him and to magnify the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take the things that we can see so clearly and yet they're so difficult to live out in our lives. Would you meet with us now in this moment and make them a reality for each one of us that people may see who you are truly through our words, through our actions, through our lives. We want them to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.